Amen. Good morning. It's good to be in God's house. How are we doing today? Doing good. That's good. Uh, So getting ready for today, uh, I was reminded at HBU, dogs up, any... Anybody? Soon to be. There we go. Uh, I was a, a music major, vocal performance, and so one of the things uh, I had to do was, or got to do, was opera class. I know you're thinking, wow, that sounds really fun. Uh, and so one of the things we did was we took a trip to New York, and we got to see some operas, got to see some Broadway shows, and we're sitting in the theater uh, of one of the shows, and when we got done, they said, hey, Uh, Our accompanist that's with us, he knows the guy that's running the pit orchestra, and they said we could go backstage. And I was like, what? So we we went backstage. We got to meet some of the actors, actresses, see the dressing rooms. Uh, You think about it's nicer than it really is kind of thing, but you're, you're getting the whole experience. And I thought to myself when I was reading this text, like, were there any times where I, as either a dad or a pastor, have gotten anybody into somewhere cool? And so I was thinking, one of the things Haley and I have, the Friendswood ISD gave us this cool badge where uh, you can't go, but if we want to have lunch at the high school or junior high, we we can get right in, and I could probably get you in. Uh, The other thing is, uh, I can go just about anywhere in a hospital I want. It's kind of scary sometimes where I'll just go, I I walk with confidence, and so I'm like, surely somebody's going to ask, who is this guy? What do you, oh, I'm a pastor, and just, oh, okay, Uh, and you get through there, and so I could get you in there, and so I'm thinking, okay, my kids don't always see the perks of being a pastor's kids. Uh, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, there's not always cheers and like, yeah, I'm a pastor's kid, what? Uh, But there's some perks that they, they don't normally see, and so when they were in children's ministry, guess what? they got to come with me to some of the big kid things. So the student refuge at somebody's house where we're having a student worship environment with the big kids and swimming, guess who got to be there? My kids, right? And nobody kicked them out because they were, they were my kids. And during vacation Bible school, we're gonna go hard, we're gonna start early. Uh, and when, when VBS is done and all the kids go home, Guess what? My kids get to get in the cool white church vans, and we go to lunch with the big kids. We get to go places. Even my youngest, Finley, she's in LDC, and they were having like a a big end-of-school party. Guess what? Uh, Her dad's church owns all the rec equipment in the Tri-County area, and so because I'm her dad, I'm able to bring things out. And so I can get them into some places, not because of who they are, but because of who they're with. And so today in the text, we're going to see Jesus encounter really an outsider, really an enemy uh, to God's physical kingdom. They're the Jews at the time. Uh, and he would, he would show them, hey, the kingdom of heaven, like belonging to the kingdom of heaven is not about who you are, but it's about who you're with. Uh, and so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 8. You need your Bibles, by the way. Uh, our opinions are really worthless unless they're based uh, on this on God's word. And so we started uh, this kingdom of heaven series right after Easter. And the teaser was, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? And, and is it strange that Jesus said things like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yet you turn on your news and there's crazy atrocities going on over in Europe. There's, there's injustice uh, for the widow, the orphan here uh, in America. There's crises everywhere. And you go, okay, how is the kingdom here uh, and all this craziness happen? And, and Jesus would explain 
hey, there's an already but not yet aspect to the kingdom. Like he said, it's here and he was truthful. He wasn't saying, hey, just there. No, but like right here, right now, God's kingdom, uh, he's ruling, he's reigning, and you can walk in that freedom and in that victory. But in a very real sense, there will be a day when physically the kingdom of God will reign. There will be an end to evil. There will be an end to cancer, to COVID, to divorce, uh, to even death. Even death was an intrusion on God's creation. There will be a day. And so Jesus showed up on the scene and he said, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you heard Pastor David said, hey, there's two ways to get into the kingdom, either repent and believe or be perfect. One of those is harder than the others, arguably. Uh, and then he went on to the Beatitudes there in the Sermon on the Mount in and, and, and Matthew 5 through 7, right? And we looked at, okay, what do the people of the kingdom look like? Who, who do they look like? What, what are their attitudes like? How do they care about each other? How do they forgive? And then last week you saw, hey, if, if you're in the kingdom, here's what you should look like. You should be salt. You should preserve things. You should make people thirsty for Jesus, right? And then you should be light, like we should shine in dark places. And so today, Jesus has just got done preaching some of his most famous sermons, again, arguably, like you've heard almost all of them, and he's coming down the mountain, and he's about to put it into real life, which by the way, your faith cannot just be great things you think and right things you think. It has to affect your everyday life. And so he comes down the mountain and he's gonna do three miracles back to back to back. First one is a leper comes up. Nobody's helping this guy. Jesus heals this guy and he moves on to where we're at today. So if you got your Bibles, again, uh, we're gonna pick up in verse five. Jesus is gonna encounter a centurion. He's a Roman official an enemy of the Jews, and he's going to have a problem. He's going to have a servant who's hurting, and he can't help him. And he's going to come to Jesus, which is strange that he would come to this Jewish rabbi. And Jesus, surprisingly, is going to say yes, and he's going to be shocked at the amount of faith, the level of faith of this outsider of the kingdom. And Jesus is going to take, for the Jews listening and for us listening today, our view of the kingdom, and he's going to do this. He's going to say, here's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And then we get to see what, what Jesus does and how he cares. And so pick it up in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, capital Lord, probably in your Bible, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So right off the bat, Jesus encounters this centurion, and we find out from Luke that the centurion didn't even come in person because he, he didn't want to offend. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm Roman, I'm Gentile, maybe he wouldn't talk to me, so he sends some Jewish emissaries to go talk to Jesus. There's a humility about this guy that we see right off the bat, and, and we find out again from Luke that, hey... Most centurions were hated by the Jews and for good reason. They, they didn't do like sensitivity training uh, to be a centurion. They were known for their harshness and get things done quickly, usually brutally. But they said, no, we like this guy. Like he, he cares about our people. He actually built the synagogue here in Capernaum. You, you want to help this guy. And, and it was shocking that he would come to Jesus. We look at him and go, yeah, of course. Uh, but this guy was like a leader. 
Like he knew he was paid to know how to solve problems and know where to get the answers. He was also Roman, and they boast about how many gods they have. They had a God for everything, right? You had God for water. You had God for sun. You had God for war. You had Bacchus, the party god. Uh, like, hey, we want a party. That's my God, right? They had a God for everything, and it wasn't enough. Like, this guy saw something different in Jesus, and he said, man, none of this is working, but I'm, I'm going to go where he's at. And by the way, we, we try to challenge you. With, with what is your narrative of Jesus? Who do you see Jesus to be? And does he line up with the Jesus? If you didn't know anything about Jesus and you just read this text, would your Jesus line up with this one? And the Jesus that this Roman centurion knows, he's kind of a big deal. He, he sees Jesus, maybe in some ways we don't. Like he had zero incentive to go to Jesus. Like he was willing to risk embarrassment uh, and maybe even issues with his boss, possibly Herod in the area, going to Jesus. And the fact that he cared about his servant also set him apart. Like most, again, centurions were not known for their gentleness and kindness. In, in researching, I found a Roman uh, writer that maintained that the only difference between a slave, a beast, and a cart was that the slave talked. Like that's how they viewed people. Yet this guy part of the Romans, this guy loved his servant, like so much so that he's trying to help him. He's going out of his way to find a solution for a problem that he doesn't have an answer to. And we're not told what it is. We're not told what the paralysis is, what disease maybe he had, but we are told it's debilitating. We are told he's suffering greatly. Luke says he's at the point of death, and this was a man of means, he was a leader. He would have had access to doctors and physicians and different medicines, but he was placed in a position where he realized he did not control much of anything. And so he appeals to Jesus. Notice he didn't actually ask. He just came to Jesus and knowing who Jesus was, he just said, hey, here's the problem. And he calls him Lord. And, and again, I point out capital Lord because they would use Lord in that context sometimes or for like a social setting. If someone's social status was higher, you would call him Lord, but Jesus' status was not higher in, in that context. Uh, it could have been politeness, but that, that would be weird again for a Roman occupier to be kind to a Jewish really nobody. Um, and all we can tell is that this guy knows Jesus is more than just a traveling healer man, prophet guy. And so he's in a spot where he, he cannot do it and he's got to reach out somewhere. And so question, is Jesus your last resort or is he your first call? Like when, when you're in a spot where you realize you don't control anything, where do you go? Where do you go first? And so don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying medicine, doctors, not good. Oh, it's all in your head. Don't worry about it. That's not Christianity. Uh, that's something else. Uh, but what I am saying is, do you go to Jesus first? Or is he, you exhaust everything until you get to him. Because the reality is, all of us control way less than we think. I'll prove it to you. Everybody in here just about has a phone. Don't lean to your parent and go, see, I need a phone. Uh, if you don't have one, I, I trust your parent on that. Uh, but none of us in here are immune to having a phone call and it changing the rest of our lives, right? 
Like if a doctor called you with the, a certain amount of news or diagnosis, it would change your life forever. Or if he called about your kid, or if a police officer called you mom or dad about your kid, like it could change your life forever. We don't control anything. I shared with the students not long ago, I was in this spot years ago. Uh, when I first got here in 05, uh, I know what you're thinking, Matt, it's only, it seems like only two years ago, right? Because uh, you graduated school. Why'd that take so long? And, and so we were here and they had already planned summer camp and it was in North Carolina, Ridgecrest, North Carolina. Uh, and if you've never been there, it's got the wreck hill of doom. Uh, it actually had a rope tied to trees that you had to hold on to just to get to the wreck field. And they had a dedicated mud pit. I was like, Wow, these guys did a good job. That's the Lord right there. Somebody's going to get saved just because of this mud pit. Uh, and so we're there, and we're there a couple days. Things are going well, and I get a call uh, from uh, Ethan's grandmother at the time. Ethan was almost one years old, and he, I knew he had a, a little fever because he had a little virus going on. And I was like, okay, we're, we're still fine. Uh, well, but then he got an ear infection, and his fever spiked. And so he started having seizures. And so we get the call. And by this time, grandma had, was going down 518 and this started happening in the car. Uh, and there used to be a fire department right there by city hall. So pulls into there, they get him, they get him in the ambulance. He's on the way in the ambulance. And we're finding this out six states away. Like as a dad, that's hard right? Like I can't do anything. I'm, I'm in a spot where even if I run to a van, get to an airport, I'm still hours and hours away. And even if I get here, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, stop. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, like it's nothing I can do. I control anything. And at that moment I knew my only place to go was him. He, he was my only hope. Uh, and so the question is, uh, where do you go? Like, is Jesus your last resort or your first call? And so the centurion's in that spot. He's in that moment where there's nothing more he can do. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to go to Jesus. And the question is, how is Jesus going to respond? Well, let's see. Let's pick it up in verse 7. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, there that is again, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. You probably could have heard a pin drop as Jesus said that. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus just pulls the pin on a popular thought and explodes it on what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he responds, and really a better translation than what you have, it was almost in the form of a question in the original language. Jesus is like, you want me to come to your house and heal him? And the centurion knows something either about Jesus or about Jewish custom because he says, no, 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 I don't deserve to have you under my roof. Now, maybe he was just humble. It could be. 
But maybe he knew also that most Jewish rabbis, they wouldn't go into a Gentile house because it would make them ceremonially unclean, and he didn't want to do it. Again, there's a humility about this guy. And he says, Jesus, just speak it, and and he will be healed. Does this look like the Jesus you know? Like he just says, speak it, and I know it can happen. That's how powerful he views this Jesus. Like this guy knows authority when he sees it, and he sees it in Jesus. You see him, he goes, hey, I'm a man of authority too. Like I have people, and I say, hey, run in a circle. And they say, how wide circle, sir? Uh, Jump, how high, sir? And, And they go, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, there's authority Spiritual realm, physical realm. No one is going to deny the authority of Jesus. And so he has no problem with saying, hey, Jesus, if you just say it, I know this disease will not rebel against you. It will obey, which again says something about who he sees Jesus. Because popular thought in that day was to heal, you had to be present and maybe touch them for healing to occur. But he's like, his view of Jesus is much bigger And notice he doesn't ask Jesus to pray for him. He doesn't say, hey, you're a great rabbi. Can you pray for me? He just said, will you just do it? So this outsider recognizes Jesus' unquestioned authority. How do you view Jesus' authority? And how do you respond to authority? Because we all have a response to authority, don't we? Uh, so here's a little test. Uh, when, when authority happens in your life, whether that's a teacher, an officer, uh, uh, an apartment manager, HOA, whatever, uh, when there's an authority and it comes in conflict with your life, what's your normal initial response? And so there's some in the room where you're in the rule follower camp. Please do not raise your hand. I know you want to right now. Uh, like, yes, I am. Your, your first response is, I'm just going to obey. You, you want to tell me? I'll do this. I'll do that. And you just, you just obey because it's like, that's what you do. We should be obedient. And then there's a second group where you're like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, I'm going to research it. Show me the science. Show me the reasoning behind this boundary. And then, okay, you're right. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, there's a third group. You would consider yourself the most fun. Uh, you look at a rule and you're automatically thinking, there's three ways I can break this, bend this, loophole. Uh, and and just, just to share with you a little inside, uh, I'm normally in number one, but I, I recently have begun a robust back and forth with our HOA on where our fence should be. Uh, and there's others. I wrote the longest email of my life. I don't know if they read it, uh, but there's definitely a response in my heart and in my flesh to sometimes with authority. And like, what is your response to Jesus' authority? Like when you hear his word proclaimed or you read it in your quiet time and there's something that's brought up that your life, your thought, how you do your relationships your finances, how you even view yourself and others, when that doesn't line up with God's word and we claim Jesus has authority, what do you do? So for some of you, uh, it is the, well, I can find a podcast of some religious person that thinks differently than the pastor. He's, he's that's his interpretation. I'll find someone else that'll support what I want to do, even though you know, hey, this, I think this is what God's word is saying. Some of us, we, we try to find loopholes, right? And we justify it. We love to justify our sin. We'll go, well, I know that that's my friend's 
Disney Plus ID and password, but we're basically family, right? So we're, we're, we're fine. But really the response, like you heard from Pastor David week one of this series, is repent. Like we should take our life and line it up with God's word, not let me force God's word and twist it to make it fit what I want to do. So he sees Jesus's authority and he just says, hey, just say it. You don't even have to come to my house. You can, healing from a distance. Like you can just do it. By the way, only Jesus can do that. Uh, That's him. Um, And so in verse 10, Jesus in his flesh like marvels at this guy. He's like, I haven't even seen this kind of faith in Israel. At which point his disciples and all the Jews that were around him following around this healer guy where they weren't sure if he was God or not, uh, they, they were a little taken aback and, and maybe ruffled some feathers. And so Jesus does what he normally does and he doubles down. <laughs> and so he talks about the kingdom and a popular view of the kingdom of heaven at the end of days was this big banquet where the people of God would come together and they would feast. And you would sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and the Lord, and you would be there. And for Jews, where they, maybe, maybe some of them would have said it out loud, they thought being the people of God was basically being a Jew. And they thought that this banquet and the kingdom of heaven was basically a Jewish thing. And again, Jesus explodes that and then triples down. And then he's like, it's not just like some Gentiles will be there. I'm gathering from the East, from the West, and there's going to be a bunch of them and they're all there. And if you don't like that, guess what? There's going to be some ethnic Jews that are in darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Kind of sounds like hell. Like he's like throwing it out there and challenging, hey, this place of darkness that you thought, hey, this is where Gentiles go. He's saying there's going to be some some Jews there. And, and it was a bit crazy what he was saying. And so again, some were confused and some were angered, but there was a crowd there that were encouraged because belonging to the kingdom has always been about faith. Being in the kingdom, belonging to the kingdom of heaven has always been about faith and not your biological family, not your heritage, not your 111 East Heritage Drive, which by the way is the address for First Baptist Friendswood. Uh, And so for the Jews there, this was sobering news because they thought heaven was just going to be this big Jewish party and that maybe some Gentiles would get in, but they would become a Jew first and they would be there. Uh, And Jesus says, no, we're all going to be at the same banquet, those that are of the faith of Abraham not the lineage of Abraham, because Paul would say that in Romans 4. Like, it's not about that your bloodline, you could trace it back to a tribe and to, to Abraham. That's great and all, but if you're of the faith of Abraham, that's the family. That's the real family of Abraham, the real family of the kingdom. And this was great news for those that were listening, the centurion, uh, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners that always loved to be around Jesus They loved this because they heard, oh, my background doesn't matter. Again, it's not who I am, it's who I'm with. And so they were were like, man, I get in? That's, That's fantastic. And so for us in the room, this could be sobering news. Like the kingdom of heaven is not just a big Texas party. 
<laughs> By the way, something that, are you, are you in the kingdom of heaven? Sure am. Live in the Lone Star State, brother. Uh, or they think, oh, I belong, I'm on the roll at three churches and I give to four. Uh, I'm in. Or my uncle was a deacon. That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, we were on a trip one time with family over in Florida and there was a friend of the family that we were talking and they found out what I did and they're like, oh, you're, a, you're a, a pastor, you're a minister. Like, so now I know you. That, that means I'm good, right? Like that's all. And I thought they were joking because I joke a lot. They were not joking. <laughs> and so like that, that mentality can be out there. And like the kingdom has always been about faith. Like some in this room may be shocked. You get to heaven and it's going to be like, wait a minute. I thought this was a big Baptist party. What are you guys doing here? What, what are you, wait, wait a minute. We're singing in another language too? Like what, what's going on? All tribes, all tongues, all peoples, all times. If they have agreed with God about their sin, turned from their sin, repented, put their faith in Jesus, you're in the kingdom. And so it's not about, hey, I got scared of hell when I was six years old and maybe said some words. It's about, have you, have you done that? Have you given the authority of your life over to Jesus, he says that what's, is what gets you in, not your, your Christian family. And so for another group in the room, this is encouraging because maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family. Maybe you grew up and, and home was kind of broken. Like maybe, maybe mom at eight years old thought, hey, let's get matching family demon tattoos. This would be great. Uh, and, and there's just all sorts of brokenness, all sorts of evil. And Jesus says, it's not about your past, it's about your faith. That's huge. Nobody has a leg up in here. Whether you were born in a bar or you were born over in the church nursery and your parents were like, what's your first word? Say dada. And you were like, Jesus, uh, right? If, even if that's you, according to Romans 3, we're all in the same spot. We need this kind of faith because belonging to the kingdom has always been about faith. And then look at verse 13. Let's see what Jesus does. You've got all this happening. This is crazy. Luke tells us he's on his way with his disciples to the centurion's house. The centurion sees him and he sends out his people saying, that's when he says, hey, don't, you don't have to come into my house. Just speak it. And look what happens in verse 13. And the centurion, uh, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Like, look what he does. Like, he, he lets the centurion know, hey, it's your faith in me that did this. But by the way, uh, I control everything. It kind of, Jesus kind of looks like God here. Uh, when everything seems out of control, he seems very much in control. When other people are rushing around, running after the ambulance, Jesus walks like he's never late. He never showed up and it looked like he was in a hurry and Jesus cares about your hurts. Look at that. Here was an outsider, someone that most people didn't like. And Jesus said, you get grace. Like he, he cared about this centurion enemies, outsiders, servant that was hurting. This was a nobody in that culture. And look how Jesus views him with compassion, with care, and with healing. And if, and if Jesus cares that much about the hurts of an outsider who's now looks like they're inside the kingdom. How much more does he care for those who are already in the family? 
Like back uh, years ago, if you had cell phone plan with like AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, if you were an existing customer, you didn't get the cool deals. You didn't get the cool phones. You were stuck and under contract and they knew it. Uh, and now, like it's like, hey, whether you're old customer or new customer, you get the same great deals. And right here, like here's this new person to the kingdom. Jesus cares about his hurts and brings healing. How much more will he care about you? Like there's no barriers to the kind of healing that Jesus can do. Because belonging to the kingdom has always been about faith. And so what do, you, what do you need? And so when you realize, you look at this and you go, okay, how, how does this work in real life? Well, when you and I realize we're in a spot where we don't have hope, we don't have the tools, the ability to fix whatever the issue is with our heart, with our mental health, with our family, with, with your grades, some of you, uh, you need uh, to go to Jesus because you don't have as much control as you thought you did. And the question is, how quickly do you go to Jesus? Like, is he your first call or is he your last resort? For, so for some of you, your response today needs to be, hey, when, when everything hits the fan, I need to go to him first. Uh, for, for those that believe you're in the kingdom, I want to ask you, how did you get in? Like, if someone in the kingdom is there and you're there and they go, wait, who let you in? What's your response? Is it a resume of all the good things you did and all the mission trips you went on? I even went on an international mission trip. I'm in. Or is it, I'm with that guy. He got me in. And you're pointing to Jesus, by the way, who lived the life you couldn't live, died for your sin, paid the debt you couldn't pay, and, and rose again. Like, is, is that how you got in? Because it's not about who you are, it's about who you're with, right? Kingdom's always been about faith. And then finally, challenge to some of you, maybe you have someone in your life, and I guarantee you, you do, whether that's a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, someone uh, just in your circle for some reason that you think they're too far from the kingdom. They're an outsider, and I don't care about them because they're mean, and they're brutal, and they say things, and they post things. Like, maybe God's challenging you to view them in a way that Jesus viewed this outsider, Jesus gave this guy grace. He cared about his needs and he met his needs. So for some of you, the response is gonna be, hey God, what are, you, what are you asking me to do? And be willing to be obedient. Because if we're supposed to look like Jesus, we should care like Jesus. Because belonging to the kingdom has always been about faith. And so if you would stand, we're gonna pray and we're gonna have a time of response.